It tells me it's 76 degrees outside. It tells me I have four message and 666 emails that I need to give some attention to. So it just is a very informative device, and I honestly love my watch. And you can judge me for that. That's between you and God. But I love it, and it's very helpful to me each and every day. I also love walks on the beach. This was in Jacksonville, and these are my two girls with their cousins, Belle and Alyssa, Bailey and Brooklyn in the middle. And uh, boy, how many of you love a good walk on the beach, hearing the ocean and the waves crash, and maybe on the other side, you get to see the sunset. So we just love those moments. Natalie and I went on Thursday to celebrate Valentine's Day uh, early. We went to Anna Maria. We walked the beach. We had some fish and just had a good time. We love walking the beach. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I do love my wife, Natalie, okay? So I, <laughs> I don't want to forget her on the list. Now, she's gone to South Carolina, uh, so she'll, you know, I just, I put her last on the list of discussion points, um, but she's up there doing some recruitment for the Academy for Teachers, but I do love Natalie. We've been married 18 years and um, known her for 22 years, and, uh, and so I love her. How many of you would say, I love my wife? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you say, I love my husband? Go like, eh, okay, good. So, yeah, so that's love. Well, you know, the word love in the English language has taken on a lot of different meanings. It's really become a very vague term. I mean, how can somebody in the same sentence say, I love Reese's peanut butter cups and, oh yeah, I love my wife? Like, there's just the same thing is not there in the meaning of love. Uh, love can also kind of come across in different ways, both positive and negative, just based on the way we try to communicate it. We may say that I just love being late for events. Well, that could be that you truly do enjoy being late for events because you don't want to be there for the whole thing, or you don't want to fight the crowds, and so you kind of love being late for the events, or you say it sarcastically, like, I just love being late to the event. And maybe you're trying to jab at somebody because they're the ones always causing you to be late. Uh, Boy, uh, here's another example. I just love how you treat me. Well, that's going to be another one that says, well, I love how you treat me. And that has some real genuine meaning, like you really appreciate and it means a lot to you how you are treated by that individual. Or you might say the same sentence with a different tone and be like, I just love the way you treat me. And that means something completely different different. Well, this topic of love is kind of where John is going to make a major transition with his letter because he is talking in verses three through six about how we're to walk as Jesus walked, live like Jesus, and look a lot like Jesus as Christians and followers of him. And now he comes to verses seven through 11, and he's going to reiterate this with this old commandment, this new commandment. He's going to give something old, something new, but it's going to really help us to better understand what is important here? Now, John, he's, he really talks a lot about love. If you think about the gospel he wrote, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so the fourth book of the New Testament, and then the three letters that he wrote, he is bringing up the term and the phrase about love. He even addresses sometimes to his beloved. And so he's often using that. Even in, in chapter 2, verse 7, he's, he's jumping into this phrase about brethren I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And so he's jumping in to really talk about this old commandment, this new commandment. Now, throughout this gospel or throughout this letter, he's going to reiterate this. And it's really important us to understand that in the Greek language, they had a way for them to know which love they were speaking about. 
So it wouldn't be that I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups just as much as I love Natalie Grant. Well, that just doesn't make sense. So the reality is, is he's going to use the word agape in this text to give us the thought and the realization of the kind of love that he is talking about that the people, the Christians, the followers need to be exemplifying in their life as well. So verse number eight, he says again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now at this very hour. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whither he goeth. Because that darkness hath blinded his eyes." So this morning, we're going to look to see what John says about this truth about love in a message entitled, The New Love, The New Love. Let's pray together. Father, we want to calm our spirits and we want to tune our minds to you. We have come today with great intent to fellowship together. I love that word partner, partnership or connection. But we've also joined together in, in singing And so we have worshiped you. And now, Father, we want so desperately to hear from you. We want our minds and our hearts to be challenged. We want our lives and our actions to be changed. We want to live like Jesus. And so would you use your word today and your message to bring us to conviction, to bring us to steps of change? Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know your son, Jesus Christ, in a personal way, would you... Bring them to that place of understanding. And would you help them to want to know you more? And so we offer this time to you for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Greeks had two words for the word new, N-E-W. And one meant new in time, and the other meant new in quality. Uh, the good example here would be to, for us to better understand would be if If you got a new car this weekend, and you went, and you test drove it, and you made the purchase, and you brought it back, and somebody says, did you get a new car? And you say, well, it's not brand new. It's a 2016, 2017, but it's it's new to us. So it's not new chronologically in the sense that it is a brand new car with like 35 miles on it sent to you. It's not new chronologically, but it's new in quality to you. So it's a freshness, it's a having that new car, that new device, that new home, or whatever it might be. And so John helps us to see that Christian love is both old and new, and this seems to be a conflicting message. But what he's saying here is that in verse number seven, he says, I don't write unto you a new commandment, but an old commandment. So the word here he's going to use is old in the sense of that it's been been preached and taught to you before, brethren. He said, this is, this is the commandment that you have known in the past, so there is nothing new about this loving God and loving people. When you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, this was a love that came in you by the work of the Holy Spirit, and now as a follower of Christ, you're wanting to be like Him, and this is a love that you will act on. That's why he says it's old. But then he says it's new Because it's new in the sense that it was called a new commandment by Jesus Christ himself. Why? Because Jesus would be the one who would bring great satisfaction or fulfillment to the old law. 
And now he is going to bring the new commandment. Remember what he said in John 13, 34. Jesus' words, he said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So again, not new in time, but new in quality. And so the commandment to love one another is not new in time, but rather new in character and freshness. In verse number seven, we see new in its status. It says, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. So this brotherly love was a part of the original message which had come to the church and to these believers. This was something that was going to be a fulfillment of the law. You remember that in Galatians, Paul would write that. Paul would give the understanding that to obey or to fulfill the law is to love God and love people. So John was not inventing a new thing. It was an, the old as the gospel itself. And so John has addressed the commandment as a whole in verses six, uh, 3 through 6 uh, in this previous section that we studied last week. And now he's going to narrow the attention to this one Old Testament command, and he gives it a place of prominence. So remember, verse 3 through 6, just a little part of the letter. He said, walk as Jesus walks. Do everything as Jesus has done. And he says to these new Christians, this very key thing is that Jesus loved people. Jesus loved the Father. He loved God. And because of that, he just naturally loved people. And so we would say, boy, to that target of loving like Jesus is such a hard one to achieve. And yes, that's the process of growth in our life. That's what brings conviction. It's what brings change. And then it's what unifies the church body. Because we know that though we're very different from one another, we can love each other. We know that we may have small disagreements with each other, but we can still be unified together and we can still get along. And so he's giving this. Why does this commandment stand out among all others? Remember what Paul wrote to the Romans, chapter 13. He said in verse 8, Owe no man anything but... To love one another. For he that loves another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, it's all wrapped up in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's all going to come to this. Love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what Jesus did. God loved the whole world. So so what he did is he gave Jesus, his son, to be that sacrifice for us. But to do the right thing is is not a matter of law for us here today. Uh, We would say that to do the right thing is a, a matter of love. To do the right thing is not a matter of saying, well, I just, I have to do and obey the law. No, it's a motivation that says, I love God, therefore I'm going to act in this way. I love Jesus, therefore I'm going to live like Jesus. 
I love others, therefore I'm going to care for them. I love God, therefore I love Jesus, therefore I love people, therefore I'm not going to be a slanderer, I'm not going to be a gossip, I'm not going to be a backbiter, I'm not going to be one that causes division among the brethren. And by the way, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination, and he lists those seven in discord among the brethren, one who feeds into that, who births that, and then, and then fuels that discord among the brethren is an abomination to God. So that needs to sink in for a little bit. I'm thankful to be a part of a church body that we're not battling with those petty little things every week. It's not a matter of this conversation and this conversation, this conversation, because we're a part of a family that I believe loves each other. Because we love God first, it trickles down to loving one another, and then we love others who come to be a part of this. Warren Wearsby illustrated it this way in talking about our actions are not a matter of obeying the law, but rather out of love. He said, the wife says, honey, you better get up out of, out of bed and go to work today. We don't want to get arrested. Well, that seems pretty extreme. Well, he says, yeah, and you probably should get up and get breakfast for the kids and get their clothes and stuff ready. The cops might show up and put us both in jail. She says, you're right. Boy, it's a good thing they have a law or we'd stay in bed all day long. Well, we know that the motivation for them is not law, it's love. And you say, yeah, some mornings it's just I want them out of the house, and that's why I'm motivated to get them going. But this is an illustration that Wearsby gives us to talk about. It's, it's doubtful that the fear of the law is often the motive behind going to earn a living or caring for one's children, but rather parents fulfill their responsibilities, even grudgingly at times, we do that because we love each other and we love our children. So to them, to us, doing the right thing is not a matter of law, it's a matter of love. Well, that's how we live our Christian life. It's not that, well, I got to go to church today because if I don't go to church, I'm not pleasing to the Lord. No, it's, a, it's just a natural part of who you are because you love God, you love his bride, the church, and you don't want to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you don't want to avoid, I saw something on uh, social media this week that said church should be the excuse of why you can't do other things. Unfortunately, it seems like other things are the excuse of why we can't go to church. And there's not some magical moment as soon as you walk in those doors like, oh, I'm among the angels, right? <laughs> uh, we get that. But there is that partnership and that fellowship. There's that connection. There is the, the unified worship together. There is the instruction of the word of God by an elder shepherd or teacher, pastor, preacher. There is something that is being fed to us. And there's the opportunity to take that in. It's the application that takes initial steps to grow, to be better, to be more like Jesus Christ. And so we're not motivated by the law. We're just motivated by love. Now, he uses this phrase in verse 7 that says, from the beginning. He says it twice. He says, this is the commandment that you had from the beginning, and it's one that you have heard from the beginning. So this love is, is our, in our heart from the very beginning that we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. It is now given to us in a very natural way. It is given to us by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, 5, put it this way, and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Ghost, which give it, has given unto us. 
And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, Paul writes again to a, a bunch of Christians in local churches, and he says, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Now, sometimes we try to, to, to kind of talk ourselves into loving people, and we try to work ourselves into it, and we say, okay, now, when that person says this very negative thing to me, to me today, I'm going to come back with a positive phrase. And so we get into the church lobby or we get into the office building at our work or we get into a, a place of, in our neighborhood where we have that interaction and that person comes to us and we're gearing up our mind. I'm ready, I'm just ready, I'm ready. Positive, positive. And they say, boy, I thought you'd never be here. You're so late today. And then you're like, you, you, you've been rehearsing, but you practice something else. And, and you're like, yeah, well... You're ugly, and that's all you got. And then you walk away, and you're like, man, I just I knew I was going to do it differently. Well, because there was no reliance on the Holy Spirit's work, there was no prayer to God, and so we just reverted back to seventh grade, and we're like, that was, those were my powerful days. Like, I just, I had it, you know? And so we've gone back to that, because we're trying to do it in ourselves. And so John is reminding, or excuse me, Paul is reminding us in these texts that the love, the brotherly love is going to come because it's taught by God to love one another, and it is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Verse number eight, he moves this into this thought of it's new, this love is new in its model. Um, the new model of love is Jesus Christ himself, and he is the greatest example of love. When he commanded us to love, he, he's not asking us to do something that he has not already done. In, in John chapter 15, verse 13, we'll study this a little bit more in depth tonight with spiritual friendships. But he says to his disciples, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And when Jesus is giving that thought, he is giving this thought of love that he has extended not to enemies, but to his friends. And so this love is one that is an incredible example of how Jesus has done it. Last week, we studied in verse number two, just a few verses up. Remember, we talked about Jesus as our propitiation or our appeasement, our satisfaction, and he was that appeasement, satisfaction, propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, it satisfied the, the demands and the judgment of our sin. And so why we needed this appeasement was because Romans 3 tells us we're all sinners. And, and then we, we know that there's a wage or payment for our sin but we also see that love stepped in in Romans 5, 8, that God commendeth, demonstrated, and showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And by the way, it would have been so much easier, it would have been better for Christ if he could have just died for righteous people. Like, I think we're there too. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll do something helpful to somebody who is kind to me, I think parents run into this trap sometimes, don't we, with our kids? Like, we gotta, we got to help them with their homework, and we're thinking, I'm, I'll help you with your homework as soon as you change your attitude, right? Now, hey, if you need to use that tactic, you go ahead, okay? I, I used it last week. It works, okay? But there's sometimes we use these things that say, if I gain something in return, well, then I can sacrifice and give to you. But we find here that that's, that's not how Jesus and his love works, and by the way, as John is writing to us about brotherly love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, this family unit, 
we're seeing that he's telling us that it, it should come out of following Christ and not for what we can gain in return. Remember what Jesus would say is say that even, even sinners can do that. Sinners, the unrighteous can do good for those who do good in return. Even sinners can be kind to those who are kind in return. But let's practice kindness and love, genuine love for people who are hard to love, unlovable, difficult, people who seem to be attacking, you know, that's, that's really where we have to park for a little bit in our mind. And if you don't think that those kinds of things happen in a church setting, just sit down with the Richardsons for a few minutes with their 35, 40, 45, 50, 85 years of experience. <laughs> Did I get that? I got that pretty close, all right? And they're going to tell you about the people who have had petty things to attack with, who have had things to hurt with who have had things that they were just so riled up and passionate about that they had to spew it out with as much venom as possible so that it stings. I want you to remember this for a long time. I mean, it was Brother Roy Sanford who saw me last Sunday morning, and we were talking, and, and he recounted a moment 30 years ago and the very spot where somebody attacked him as a deacon of the church. And you got to remember, he's been a deacon here for 130 years. And so he's had a lot of experience as well. But he remembered the moment because that person had great intent as the body of Christ to give such powerful venom to sting for a long time. I'm kind of reminded of what Paul would write to the Christians and talk about how the words that come out of our mouth should be filled with grace. Like that our hearers would be given grace by the things we say. I, I get it. There are things that offend us. I know I've offended some of you in here. And I know that we all have our offenses. But let's not let that be a breeding ground for the enemy to use our words and our emotions and our passions to tear down. Like if that's you right now and you're just struggling, but, but by the way, I wouldn't even know that. I don't know if I've offended any of you, but if there is an occasion for, of offense, I would hope that you would have the, the grace and love enough to say, let's sit down and have this conversation so that we can just confront it together and we can work through that. Boy, I would love that. And I know that the body of Christ would love and appreciate that. And I know that we would grow through that. I know that we could take steps of progress. And remember, this all comes back to what Jesus did by stepping in on our behalf. So we call on him and our time of need. But if you're unsaved, your invitation for change is that Christ would come into your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your invitation today in application is to open yourself to allow this new model of love, Jesus Christ, be that example. Pre-Jesus here on earth, everybody was looking back at the Old Testament. They were looking back at the law. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Israelites told their kids all throughout every generation, love God, love people, love thy neighbor as thyself. That's why the new model stepped in, and it was Jesus who said, I'm here to fulfill the law. And that's what he did with his death on the cross. Look at verses 9 through 11. We see this new in its involvement. And so John applies the test of supernatural love to those who, who claim to be a Christian. Now remember, this is a test that John is giving. The series is entitled, Prove It. 
So prove it that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Prove it to others that he's changed you. Prove it that there's continual transformation in your life. Prove it by love coming out of you. And that's why John is writing this. And we understand that it's impossible to be in fellowship with God and out of fellowship with another Christian at the same time. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus reminded that. He says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remember that thy brother hath aught against thee, will leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now, there's a lot of details to the context of that that we don't have the time to dig into, but the gist of it that we see is that there is conflict that needs to be dealt with before we try to continue to pretend that everything's okay. And, and, and now how John is going to address that is he knows that this is a struggle in the Christian life, that there are a lot of us who try to pretend like everything is okay, but it's really not, and when it's not, we're doing harm to the body of Christ, the name of Christ, and his work in our life. So look at what verse number nine says. He that says he is in the light, but then hates his brother, well, he's in darkness even until now at this very hour. So what verse nine is telling us is that when they hate, they live in darkness, though they think they are living in the light. The individual pictured here in this verse displays a conflict between his claim and his conduct. Now, we can always go back to this example of somebody who says, honey, I love you, but does nothing of help or sacrifice to express that love, okay? And, and men in here, don't, don't fall back on saying, I, I told you I loved you at the altar 45 years ago, okay? Or I told you I loved you the day our, uh, 80, uh, uh, or our 50-year-old daughter was born. I, I told you I loved you, okay? So let's, let's be careful here because when... When we say that we love or make this claim that we're walking in the light, yet we have hatred toward brethren, brothers and sisters in the church or in the body of Christ as a whole, then uh, we're deceiving ourselves. We're actually walking in darkness. This individual who makes bold claims, but his conduct speaks louder, is one that is going to be very clearly represented by someone who is just struggling in life. They're walking in darkness. He fails to show love within the family circle of the body. He cannot be expected to show love in broader relationships if he can't do it within the church. Let's not be the people who pretend like we love each other and we love the church, but we're struggling in our uh, vertical relationship with God. Because loving God is going to fuel us to love people. And by the way, don't hate people and think that you're okay in loving God alone. Because those just go hand in hand. They go together. And so this loving of people is going to come very naturally when we're passionately in love with God. Um, the person, uh, or excuse me, in this text, did you see in verse number nine, the present participle with hating? It indicates his characteristic attitude. It's, it's, it's something that is now and continues. And so this is something that is not merely a flash of anger or ill will. Have any of us in here uh, responded in a, a spout of anger before within a local church setting? Would you just raise your hand if that's you before? Okay, five of you are willing to admit that. I'm not talking like you stood up at a business meeting and cussed out the pastor, all right? I'm not talking about that. 
What I'm talking about is within the body of Christ, you've ever had a moment of anger where you said, I didn't like that. I don't like that. I don't know. Why, why does he do that? Or, I, I, okay, you know what it is. How many of you have done that before? I'm raising my hand. Okay, I'm not the only one. There's more than five of you. Okay, you bunch of liars. Thank you. All right. So, where was I going with that? Yes. Okay. There have been moments in our life where we had just that slight moment of anger that poured out or that ill will towards somebody in the church or in the body of Christ. That's not what this verse is describing because that's just a moment of struggle. That is a just man falling flat on his face and getting back up, okay? That's happening. But this is just a constant spirit. This is just a very natural part of who somebody is. They have ill will toward the brethren. They don't like their brothers in Christ. They don't like their sisters in Christ. If you try to get one positive thing out of them, they just want to spew negativity. They don't like what you wore. They don't like what you said. They don't like the donuts you picked out for the fellowship in the morning. They didn't like whatever it is. And so those are moments that is just very discouraging within the body of Christ. And what John is saying is there's plenty of us who try that. We say we're walking in the light, we're walking in the spirit, but we hate our brethren. We hate our our people. By the way, I I reiterate this often. I say it in our Discover Parkway class, and I try to remind us as a church body, like if there's more negativity about you being a part of Parkway Baptist Church, my plea with you would be find a place where you can gel. Find a place where you will connect. Find a place where you can sit and listen, enjoy the worship, and you can be taught from the shepherd a place where you can thrive and a place where you can grow. You, you know, as a local church, there's always people who pop up and head in a different direction, and that's never any ill will toward me, toward them. I just want them to be in a place where they can thrive and where they can grow. Now, if they ever wander away from God's church and they start to rebel and get away from that, that's where our heart breaks and we want to pull them back in and we want to help them. But let's be a part of a place where we can, we can grow and thrive. Look at what verse 10 says. He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there's none occasion of stumbling in him. So verse 10 tells us when they love, the way they live does not cause stumbling for themselves or others. So this is the exact opposite of the one in verse number 9. It is assumed that he gives testimony to his faith as being appropriate, and his practices speak for itself with any loud proclamation. This person is one who just enjoys walking in the light. He loves the brothers. He loves the sisters. He loves God's church. He loves God's bride. He's a thriving part, being cultivated in the gospel and taking steps of growth. Not perfect, because there's none of us that are there, but somebody who's taking steps of growth. Again, this verb or this word here is the present participle, so it's indicating that his love is, is not occasional or sporadic, but rather a continual habitual practice. Can you think of somebody in your life who you would describe them as somebody who is just continually and habitually practicing love and encouragement in your life? You see, in God's church like this, there should be people that pop into our mind all day long of people who just love and who do this continually. Now, this term for love represents not so much a display of the emotions as it does display the will. How many of you wholeheartedly agree love is a choice? Raise your hand. Love is a choice. If you're not raising your hand, you're dead wrong. I'm sorry, okay? Love is a choice. It's an act of the will. I know we fall in love. 
And when we wake up every morning and we see her golden locks and smell her stinky breath, we just say, I just love every part of you, all right? And, uh, and 30 years later, when, um, when his muscles all come down here and he gets bigger and Reese's peanut butter cups become his weakness in life, you know, you still just love him, right? But that's a choice. It's an act of will. It's not just an emotion base. And so we make the choice to love the diversity of a group like this. So we all come from different places, different backgrounds, different teachings, and, and different passions, and then we come together and we can move past that to, to love each other. And so this is an act of the will. Verse number 11, he says, uh, but, so he goes, hatred, verse 9, loving, verse 10. And by the way, when we love that way, we don't become a stumbling block, not for ourselves or for others. I love that thought. A dangerous place is to become a stumbling block. I, I, I've had plenty of conversations with people who said, I've left Sunday morning services discouraged because of A, B, and C. That hurts my heart because I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody. And that's why I offer myself on a daily basis to the Lord to be led by him. And so I want his peace, his wisdom, his direction. When I stand before you on a Sunday morning, it's not for show. It is to come before you as a humbled servant to offer you the message of God's word that he has given from himself. And so it would break my heart to know that I've become a stumbling block. So none of us want to be a stumbling block to each other. We don't want to be a stumbling block to ourselves. So how we do that is we learn to love, act of the will. I choose to love you. You choose to love me. We choose to love each other. It's a choice. And then hatred comes again in verse 11. It says, but he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knoweth not and doesn't realize whether he goes. He doesn't understand where he's even going because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And so we would see verse 11, when they hate, they don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. So he thinks he sees, but he is actually blinded by the darkness of hatred. This is the kind of person who causes trouble in God's church. This is the one who thinks that he, is, he or she is a spiritual giant with great understanding when actually they're just a babe with very little spiritual depth and spiritual perception. They may read their Bible faithfully and they may pray fervently, but if, it is, if they have hatred in their heart, they're just living a lie. And so there's so much more here to this text. There's so much truth that John is writing about, and we'll continue here in the weeks ahead as we study this this matter of love, as he will address it throughout the rest of his letter. And the Christian life is an active life in the love of Christ. And so that's why it all comes back to living like Jesus, verse 3 through 6. And when we begin to take steps to, li- to live like Jesus, to walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will find that we will have God's love all in and through us. John thirteen thirty four. we said it at the beginning, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, followers, identifiers. By this will the community know that we, Parkway Baptist Church, are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. By this 
Everybody who comes through the doors, people will know that we are passionate and real about God in our life and living like Jesus. It comes down to one simple thing. He says, if you love one another. So let's get past the whole conflict issue, this side versus this side. Let's, let's not have that. Let's make sure that we're loving, and that's an act of the will, and we can be unified together because there's a community to impact. This section of verses, should we love the world? Yes, we've got to go out. We've got to minister to the world. But John wants to concentrate on something so foundational, and that's loving one another. And the churches that are divided into two because this side doesn't love this side and this side is so passionate against this side is a church that cannot be used by God. And I'll be dogmatic on that. That is a church who has missed out on their mission and have very key foundational issues to cause them to be blinded and running into walls. So let's not be that Christian. Let's be true followers of Jesus Christ, living like him and loving one another. That is the new love.